When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Fenway Rundown, the premier podcast for all things Boston Red Sox. You know, people harp on the last place thing, but essentially what's important is the record. If the Red Sox want people to start thinking the ownership cares, then maybe they should talk. This is the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live. Here are your hosts, Chris Cotillo and Sean McAdam. Happy Tuesday, Fenway Rundown listeners. Chris Cotillo here along with Sean McAdam and a third co-host today, Chris Smith, our Texas correspondent down uh, in downtown Houston where the Red Sox are playing the Astros for four days. I did the first six games of the road trip in Washington and New York. Uh, We decided that Smitty was better off sweltering in the heat down there. Smith, what is the the outdoor temperature? I know there's a roof on the ballpark, but, but what is it? Really high. I haven't looked at the actual temperature, but it has to be approaching 100. When I walk to the ballpark in Houston, I always walk like a half a mile per hour. And that's and you still sweat your butt off, but at least you don't sweat completely. Well, that's why they invented Ubers, which I take no matter what. Um, but we will start with some news from down there. Uh, you broke super late last night, a bunch of roster moves coming for the Red Sox. For those who haven't seen them, what are they, and what is the impact of what's going to be announced uh, pregame today? Yeah, Abreu, the prospect. Uh, I say Abreu because I'm – does anybody know how to pronounce his first name? Willier, I think. What is it? Willier. 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 Yeah, that's what I assume. So, yeah, I mean, you know, obviously he's going to be promoted. It's his first big league stint, and, you know, and, and Jaron Duran's going on the IL. You also have – Chris Murphy being options so that Tierna Hauk can, you know, be activated from the 15-day IL. Uh, obviously, the big news, the first two, Abreu and Duran, uh, it didn't look so severe. Even you, I think, wrote it uh, on Sunday that they didn't really, you know, core downplayed it, and it didn't appear that it was anything significant. Mm-hmm. I talked to a couple people on Monday morning just to ask if they were flying anybody to, you know, to houston just in case they needed to put him on the il um they said nope uh that it didn't appear like it was a big deal and then all of a sudden yeah you know it was kind of a change of story yesterday uh once we once we met with alex cora you know he didn't rule out the il stand and now here we are abray is just an interesting guy he's one of the guys that the red sox got um you know in the in the christian vasquez deal from houston so he's going to make his major league debut against Houston, the team that, you know, he was in the minor league system and came through. Actually, it's interesting, like Abreu was initially going to sign with the Red Sox uh, in 2016 as a 17-year-old amateur free agent. And that's when they had all those penalties uh, and they couldn't, you know, for the 2016-17 signing period. And so they couldn't, you know, sign anybody. And so Abreu got stuffed there. And he had to wait until he was 18 to sign with the Astros, but he eventually lands with the Red Sox. He's going to make his uh, debut. 
really good controlling the strike zone. He was one of only five guys in affiliated minor league baseball last year to walk over a hundred times. He walked 114 times. He always has a strikeout uh, walk percentage up between like 17 and 20% in the minor leagues. And, you know, he controls the strike zone. I think that's ultimately why they chose him over Rafaela, who's also extremely hot right now. Uh, but Abreu is probably hotter. He has nine home runs in August and, you know, in, in four doubles and he's batting, you know, he's at like a 500 OP uh, on base percentage and over a thousand OPS. So, you know, I think that's ultimately why they chose him over Raphael. We'll ask Alex Cora that today. Uh, I know a lot of people are disappointed that they, you know, didn't promote Raphael. Uh, but I think it's just, you know, right now it's just he's he's got a better approach play to the discipline wise and he's probably more ready. Yeah, and then Mer- I, I get that. I, I get the appeal of Abreu at this point. But when you look at what they're losing with Duran, where you don't have the speed, um, you don't have uh, certainly Rafaela is a far better defender uh, than Abreu. Abreu is not a great defender, no matter where he is. Rafaela can be a plus defender in center. And importantly, although he hasn't played a lot of shortstop in the last couple of months, as they still monitor uh, the workload for Trevor's story, Raffaella could have helped out there. So um, it, it it is interesting that they went with Abreu here, uh, given the the skill set that um, that Raffaella brings and what he could have delivered both in speed and defense on that roster. That's a great point about you know even the shortstop thing. You know, like uh, yeah, I agree totally. Um, he has been extremely hot. And, and even, you know, when you talk about guys that are, you know, coming up from the minors, you want to be extreme. Like you want to be big league ready at one thing, at least if you're going to struggle hitting, I mean, this is a guy that hit, you know, baseball America, Alex Spear had written an article last year on baseball America that Rafaela, somebody told him that Rafaela was, you know, gold glove caliber already in center field. and was close there at shortstop and, and could become it. So, yeah. Um, you know, that's an interesting point. Chris Murphy also getting sent down to the minors. Chris, um, this, I think, is just a, from what Heim Blooms told us and what we've heard behind the scenes, they really like Mauricio Yovera, right? Like, I know he was really bad early on, um, but they think this is a guy who actually has some potential and they don't want to lose him. And so instead of DFAing that guy, you, you send Chris Murphy down for two weeks. Is that really the rationale there? Yeah, I mean they have DFA'd a couple guys, right? That one one of them starting in the race or <laughs> in the right. race rotation right now. So it's like, you know, you don't want to lose a guy that you, you think has potential. But I also think it has to do with, you know, the September call-ups are coming. Um, he does have to what stay down there for 15 days. So he can't be back till September 6th. But you know, ultimately you're playing, you know, seven games against the Astros and three games against the Dodgers. The Astros are significantly better against left-handed pitching. Uh, then they are right-handed pitching. So you stack your bullpen with righties and that's the way you go. And, and so it's, you know, it's a numbers game. He has options, obviously. So they, you know, they don't lose him where they would lose the other. And so, um, you know, I think ultimately they looked at those different scenarios. Uh, Cora brought up pregame, you know, who they were facing over the next 10 days. And so I think that played a significant factor. You can bring up Chris, you know, Chris Murphy again in September, he's been really valuable for them. 
Um, but, you know, that's the way it is. And then right now, Bernardino is going to be the only left-hander in the bullpen for the time being. And it is kind of funny that they've gone from having six lefties in the bullpen about uh, about four or five weeks ago, now down to one. Uh, but of course, the, the thing that worked against Murphy is that they are no longer doing any bullpen games. So they don't need that bulk reliever as help comes back and moves into the rotation. Yeah, and I think that obviously he's a guy that I know pitched pretty well last night, but has not been you know as sharp the last couple outings as he was when he was dominant early on and probably made the move. I, well, I'll start here and give you both guesses on, um, you know, I think obviously Duran's injury will, will play a role here, but in 10 days when rosters expand, who do you think comes up? Um, yeah, you can go first, Sean. I, yeah, I think obviously I think... they'll have a pitcher and a position player, right? Right. Right. Uh, I would imagine that Murphy comes back, uh, even though they can't do that right away on September 1st, unless there's an injury before that, as Chris noted, uh, he's got to stay for 15 days, having been optioned today. So that calendar, they can bring up somebody to fill that role for five days. And then I would imagine he gets switched out for Murphy. And then uh, if uh, if Abreu is not already back, he could come back and or Raffaella could get a little bit of a look in September. I, I think this guy plays a big role in 2024. Abreu, that is, uh, excuse me, um, Raffaella plays a big role or a significant role in 2024. And historically, this franchise has liked to get guys, uh, have their, you know, get their feet wet in September, experience what it's like being in the big leagues, even if they're not going to be used a whole lot, uh, just to, get exposed to what the life and culture and travel and clubhouse is like. So I would expect we'll see Abreu at some point in September. Uh, it helps, of course, as Abreu is um, is also on the 40-man roster. Uh, so too is Raffaella. So it doesn't require exposing anybody to make that move. Yeah, I would agree. Um, they have plenty of options, obviously, in the time being until, uh, you know, Chris Murphy's eligible back. I mean, in terms of left-handers, you know, as Sean was saying, they have plenty of left-handers who, you know, have been optioned up and down. You have Brandon Walter, you know, you've got, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't think of them all right now, but there's plenty. And so, you know, you have a bunch of guys there that have had a major league experience, you know, this year and previous years at Worcester right there. And they can, you know, work that in. I would think that, you know, Raviel's obviously that candidate. Um, but there's also the, the whole thing where, you know, the rule changes, you want speed, especially if Durand, you know, whatever. I mean, maybe you go with Hamilton. Um, you know, he can play some, you know, shortstop and in second base. And, you know, he's like a guy that if they're in a if they're in a pennant race or if they're in a playoff, a wild card race here in September, you know, he can come into a game late and steal a base. And so um, I would say the, you know, Raffaello or Hamilton, you know, is the guy that that comes up as the position player. And one other name that hasn't been really in consideration and since, I don't know, May, Bobby Dahlbeck still at AAA, still on the 40-man roster. And if this gets worse with Justin Turner, if he can't play at some point, I think he's a guy that could be um, in the mix as well. But so far, they've not really shown much interest in, in doing that at all. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand why Dahlbeck is not under more consideration. It's pretty obvious that um, that Turner is not going to be able to play the field much, if at all, for the final six weeks. That That is a heavy burden to place on Tristan Casas, especially a guy 
that has not played every day at the big league level. Uh, he got held out against lefties in the first half. We've seen uh, both because of his improvement as a hitter and because of the need that he's starting more games against lefties now. But just the, the fact that your only other option is a guy who literally has not played an inning of first base as a professional uh, as the backup, um, uh, you know, the, the, that that doesn't make a lot of sense that you're trying to – it's not a week or 10 days you're trying to get past. It's six weeks left in the season or almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's something that struck me over the weekend when this, you know they had to go into emergency mode. Justin Turner hobbling around the clubhouse in New York. I mean, he was – on his feet for 18 innings and obviously still delivered at the plate in a big way, but just not something that you can see them doing long-term where if Casas needs a day, you know, putting Reyes over there, you know, I know it's not the hardest position on the field, but that's difficult. You know, Alex Cora didn't really have a good explanation for this, but he said they've ruled out pretty much everybody else over there. Duvall, who's done it way early in his career, ref Snyder, who used to be an infielder, um, Urias, who's played all around the diamond. Like Reyes is the guy they've identified, but there's really no reason why. He said he played it in winter ball, so they feel comfortable. According to baseball reference, that was a single inning in winter ball this year. Um, I don't know. I, I, it's a weird situation and and one that, um, you know, if Casas is not as good offensively down the stretch, this kind of overwork could, could definitely play a role there. We'll move on to something, um, and, and Tristan will be a part of this discussion, I'm sure, that, that I know Sean wanted to talk about. Smith covering the games in Houston this week. This was a very, very clear theme last night um and it is defense and as i tweeted last night kevin millar on the broadcast in houston inexplicably said that rafael devers is an above average third baseman defensively and has been this year which is not true by literally any metric or the eye test or just thinking about facts in any way so that was a little bit crazy to hear you know devers with a couple of tough plays last night in washington he had a big error alex cora calling him out and saying you know his defense has been inconsistent Sean, in your mind, how come the defense has not gotten better at any point for this team throughout the season? And is that a reflection on Alex Cora? It's a discussion we've had before, but worth bringing up again. Yeah, I, I think we need to make a distinction between the mental errors and the brain farts that we've seen in the field, overthrowing cutoff men, throwing to the wrong base. Uh, those, I think, reflect poorly on Alex Cora. The fact that the defense is subpar is more a matter of roster building. And if you're going to lay that at anyone's feet, then it should be Heim Bloom. Uh, we know that all three of us are at Fenway, and we see the fact that Cora has these guys taking infield, taking work in the infield early in the afternoon. It is not for a lack of effort or emphasis. Uh, we've seen uh, everybody from Carlos Febles to Ramon Vasquez to Cora himself work with Devers, work with some of the guys who were struggling at shortstop early in second base. They've put the time in, but it has not yielded any results. I actually thought Devers had turned something of a corner a year ago to the point where you could reasonably say he had become a league average third baseman, never a plus defender, never even a little bit above average, but somebody that wasn't going to be a liability. And to me, he's taken a step backward this year. And that's concerning uh, because they're committed to this guy for, you know, another nine or 10 seasons after this one. And it's not likely as we get into his thirties that he's going to get any better. And yet what are the options with him going forward? You have Casas as your first baseman for the future. 
Um, he's got his own issues defensively. Maybe he can get better with some extra work. But it's not like you can move Devers across the infield. It's not like you want to make a guy who's 27 or 28 a full-time DH at that point. Not yet. Uh, I, I think it's a huge thing that they have to address over the winter. And yet they're already so locked into a number of subpar defenders. Devers at third. Yoshida in left. Um, you know, whatever they do at second base going forward, there are issues all over the diamond about how good they're going to be defensively with no easy answers. Yeah, I was thinking like, you know, all those things where, you know, your, your two longest, the two biggest contracts or longest tenured players that he's got here are Yoshida endeavors and they both look like DHs right now. I mean, like, right. you know, they saw that ball yesterday that Yoshida should have caught. He took, you know, a bad route and you know that was a ball that he needed to make and uh need to make a catch on so you look at it and this goes back like you know i've said it a million times i said at the beginning of this year it's like you know with heim bloom he came from a small market team and the focus on those is you know pitching and defense and and it's been strange that the emphasis hasn't really been placed on defense i put it more on bloom than i do cora obviously mental errors and stuff like that you can look towards the manager but like you know you go back to getting schwarber and he was you know incredibly important and he helped them get to that you know fifth or sixth game whatever it was of the alcs in 2021 but they just assumed you know he could you know play first base and you know that they could teach it to him and they didn't they they you know they didn't consider the defense as much when they were making that move uh and not I, I mean I, I would point out Chris that that was at least a short-term move you know they yes, yeah the, the, he he was here for two months it wasn't a great fit but they needed the offensive boost and so you swallowed the defensive issues short term the problem as you noted is that they're two the two guys they're committed to the longest contractually are not going to get better or not going to get much better given that they're moving into their, you know, in Yoshida's case, already 30 and Devers getting there. And so you look at the the contract that Devers got and you know that he'll eventually, and it looks like sooner than later, going to be a DH for this team. And, you know, that that is concerning. And, you know, obviously he can be an extremely productive DH, but you know, they got to figure out defensively, you know, what's going on here. Um, you know, obviously Marcelo is going to be, you know, an above average defender. That's what they they say at shortstop. And then you move Trevor Story back to second. So you do have, you know, a really good middle of the infield. If you have, you know, Rafaela, uh, a goal. So, you know, they, they in Connor Wong, obviously, is a plus defender or showing that he can be. Uh, behind the plate so you do actually look good up the middle potentially sure. however you know there are extreme concerns about like you know your two best guys as i said uh or your two uh longest tenured guys here with contracts <laughs> both looking like dhs this at this point and then you know tristan needing to also make a jump at first base or he could be a dh yeah you know what though here's another factor that comes into play Justin Turner is a great fit for the Red Sox, and they should look to re-sign him for next year. But can you have a guy who's basically a DH every day? I know he's played first base. We saw how that's, that's kind of gone. Like, if you have him locked in at DH every day for the next two years, you can't move Devers or Yoshida off those positions. And I think that that's something that um, 
you know, they they moved away from JD Martinez because they didn't want that guy locked into that spot every day. As Turner gets older, it's just going to be more likely that he needs to be. I mean, does the Yoshida thing and the Devers thing defensively make it less likely that they look to bring back Turner? I I, I still think they will make every effort to retain him. Obviously, he's not going to. Uh, not obviously, but it's highly unlikely that he's going to opt into that option. He mm-hmm. can do far better given the kind of season he had. And I think we have to also take into account the fact that, you know, the impact he's had in the clubhouse, uh, his ability to communicate, his ability to be a leader, uh, the, the role he plays in helping younger players uh, with with hitting expertise He's so valuable, uh, you know, I think we sometimes overstate the importance of intangibles, but Turner's got him by the bucket full. And as we've seen, even at 38, uh, is is still a very, very tough out. He's terrific with runners in scoring position. He loves the big moment. It would be very hard to walk away from him. And yet, as you point out, it really boxes them into a corner if they commit. And you've got to believe it would require, at the very least, a contract, a, a, a better deal for, for 24, and at the very least, an option for 25. He's not going to sign a one-year deal coming off the kind of year he has with an 850 OPS. Mm-hmm. So you're, you're going to have to pay and give him more than a year, even if it's only an option. And then uh, you're, you are consigning Devers and Yoshida uh, to, to their current positions, uh, knowing that you're going to be sub-average in left field and third base for two years or close to it. And I brought this up on another pod I was on yesterday. Turner, like, he's going to get pretty good offers from a lot of teams that think not only can he produce, but he can, you know, he's proven he doesn't have to be in L.A. to be good. He's out of his comfort zone. He's on a different coast. And he's the unquestioned leader of the Red Sox. You know, there's a lot of teams that are going to look at that and say, this is the guy we want. You know, and I think the Red Sox are going to have to compete for that. We'll talk about now a game that Justin Turner had, uh, one of the, the latest big game that he had on Sunday. I was there in New York covering it. Um, Sean called me right after and said, you know, the takeaway here, this is not just any other win. And that's completely accurate. It was one of those, you know, circle games, um, a big time win. everybody in the clubhouse knew it, a lot of turning points, you know, Cora gets run the controversial call at home plate, which I still think he was safe, but uh, I could watch that a thousand times and not really see it. Um, the Turner home run to tie it and Volpe coming back and tying it. And then, you know, the, the ups and downs in the eighth and ninth, Kenley Jansen, I thought with his most impressive save of the year, um, striking out judge on three pitches like that, getting Torres and then getting, uh, it was kind of a nice indictment on the Yankees organization that Ben Rortvet and his bingo number, uh, was the last, uh, line of defense there, but just an all around great win great vibes in the clubhouse after I hate saying that phrase, but it really was. And, you know, they celebrated this like it was a playoff victory. Um, you know, the beer shower for Ramon Vasquez, Kenley Jansen calling Alex Cora out of the clubhouse. I mean, Red Sox Yankees still does mean something for a team that's been up and down all year. Felt like they really put it all together for a three day stretch in New York. And I, you know, was just being around it and covering it and, and writing about it, thinking like this is the, maybe the highest point of the season for them, despite the fact that they, you know, have been in better spots standings wise before. And then the 2023 Boston Red Sox come back in front of Chris Smith's very eyes last night with bad defense and kind of a non-competitive loss. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it never fails that, you know, as soon as you think you finally have a read on what they could be, Smitty, they go the other way. Yeah. I mean, they laid an egg. 
uh, last night. They played poor defense. You know, Paxton didn't pitch well. Um, they didn't get, you know, they had some, you know, obviously some scoring opportunities. They had the bases loaded uh, with no outs in the sixth inning. They had the first two runners on base in the third and the fourth inning, and they didn't, you know, capitalize. And so, you know, I've been saying it all year, like, you know, they had an eight game winning streak and a six game winning streak in the first half. And both times they fell below, uh, you know, 500 again. And so they've shown us what they can be. And then they regressed back to what, you know, that sloppy team and that, you know, team that doesn't hit with runners in scored position or, you know, has bad defense. So, um, you know, it was just a, I, you know, somebody said to me, actually, so I'll, I'll say the name, it was Ian Brown. He said, you know, the, the Yankees are playing so bad, they need to, you know, put them out of their misery. Um, you know, he was telling me this on the last homestand. And I said, yeah, well, they they probably will put the Yankees out of their misery this, but then the Astros might put the Red Sox out of their misery. And so, like, this is just such a crucial stretch right here with, you know, the Astros seeing them seven games here. They're getting, they're healthier. Talking to one of their, or the, one of their broadcasters, you know, was saying yesterday that really hasn't, the, the only issue with them has been health this year. Um, it's not that, you know, they've, they've had a bad, you know, defense or they just haven't pitched as well. They haven't pitched as well, but, you know, overall it's, it's really been, you know, some injuries and stuff like that. So they're, you know, Houston's right there in the wild card, you know, right, right in front of Toronto. And so this is just a critical series and a critical stretch with the Dodgers and then the Astros coming, you know, to town next week and stuff like that. And so, you know, this is make or break, I feel like. Sean, to wrap up here, was the season def- decided in the last 10 days and the next 10 days? Uh, it, it could very well. As Chris notes, uh, this is probably the toughest stretch that the Red Sox are going to face over the final nearly six weeks with seven games against Houston, if you count last night, and three more with the Dodgers. You could make a case that uh, those two teams are among the three or four best teams in baseball. I think we all agree Atlanta is probably the uh, the toughest team in the game. But, boy, you would put the Dodgers and Houston very high up on the list of teams that – uh, you do not want to have to face, and they've got six. Uh, you know they got nine more coming up here starting Tuesday night. Uh, it, it, there are no soft spots for the Red Sox uh, throughout the rest of their season. They have just seven games against teams with losing records: three with Chicago, the White Sox, and four with the Yankees uh, in September. So it, it is. Uh, it is incumbent upon them to beat good teams, which surprisingly they've been able to do this year. It's the flip of last year where they couldn't beat good teams and beat up on bad ones. This year, the problem has been losing to uh, losing to teams they should beat while they've played pretty well against teams that are ahead of them. It's time to do that because the schedule does them no favors. If you look, I broke down today uh, the other teams in the wild card running uh, call it Toronto and uh, Houston and Seattle, they all have much easier schedules than the Red Sox do over the final month and a half. Yep. And the the train keeps moving. The Red Sox will be you know, shorthanded almost immediately with Jaron Duran going on the IL tonight. Chris Smith will have it covered for all of you down from Houston. Sean and I will be back with another pod on Thursday. This has been the Fenway Rundown.
This has been the Fenway Rundown, brought to you by Mass Live.